Hey guys, welcome to the God Besotted Podcast, where we dig into scripture to delight in the God who loved us first. I'm your host, Karina, and I am so glad that you're here. I think it's going to be a good time, so let's just get right into it. So for my birthday two years ago, I have a very, very dear friend who gifted me a very exciting gift. She gave me my very first real live houseplant. I had never had a plant before. I had gotten little succulents as trinkets at parties and things like that, but never had had a a, a plant. And it was such a thoughtful gift, especially because she's, you know, your quintessential plant lady. And I just loved it. I was super excited and did my utmost um, to take care of it obviously. I wanted to keep it alive and um, I did everything that she told me to do. I watered it when the soil was dry and I tried to prune off dying or already dead bits and I kept it in an area that had direct sunlight. Um, But sadly, very sadly, one day it seemed like overnight the plant had just withered it had just withered. It was clearly dying. And I had, of course, no idea how to revive it. So I did the only thing that I knew to do, and that was to give it back to my plant lady friend and ask her to please, please, please nurse it back to life, which of course she was happy to try to do. And amazingly, after she had refreshed the soil and watched over it for a few weeks, it did. It came back to life. It has since died again, Um, (laughs) and I asked her for another plant for my next birthday, but that is not the point. The point is that refreshing the soil, she told me, was one of the key things that helped nurse this poor, withering plant back to health. All the plant people listening right now are like, yes, obviously, but this was all new to me. I had no idea about uh, refreshing soil or repotting plants. Um, So I looked it up and this is a definition from the internet about repotting plants. It says that when you repot a plant or plants, you basically are replacing poor soil with new potting mix that supplies the plants with the proper nutrients. And so I learned something. One of the most important things that plants need to be healthy and to grow is good soil. This is something I had not thought of before. And the parable that we're going to look at in this episode, the parable of the soils, teaches us that when it comes to the soil of our hearts, the same is true. A heart with good soil will receive the word when it's planted by truly hearing it, that is understanding it, True understanding always involves responding in obedience, and that obedience bears fruit. So let's go ahead and we'll read Jesus' parable from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 8. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. 
But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's the parable. It's included in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's one that Jesus explicitly explained the meaning of to his disciples. Most parables don't have an explicit explanation, but this one does. Luke 8, 9 says his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And Jesus starts to explain in verse 11. So Luke 8, 11 through 15, Jesus says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil... These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Al Mohler says that this is the parable that unlocks all the parables. It points us to, and we talked about this in the first episode, he says it points us to different patterns of response to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the word of God. So some people will hear parables and truly understand, truly believe, truly obey, and others will reject the parables, not understanding, not believing, and not being transformed. So as we begin looking at this parable in detail, I will caution you with a warning that I read while I was preparing for this episode that cautioned me in my preparation. Don't assume, as you listen to this episode and as you read this parable, Don't assume that you are the good soil. As we read this parable, which is probably familiar to you, stop and wonder, as one article I read said. Stop and wonder whether you are the plant without roots or the one that dries up and withers or the one that's choked out by thorns. The main point of this parable is that true faith produces fruit. True faith produces fruit. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The seed, the word of God, the word of Christ, the gospel message through which faith comes remains the same in every case, in every soil that it falls into in the parable. Doesn't matter what the soil is, the seed is the same. There's nothing wrong with the seed at all. It's a living seed, a living and active word. It's distributed generously without discrimination. But the soils, the hearts that are exposed to the word, make or break what happens next. It's only when the seed is planted in good soil that we see life that lasts, growth that endures fruitfulness, and faithfulness. So the main point of the parable is that true faith in God and His Word produces fruit. And I encourage you, as I've encouraged myself in preparing for this episode, to to stop and wonder. 
what the soil of your heart, what can the condition of your heart is at this moment. So under the umbrella of that main point, we're going to look at each soil, each heart where the word of God is sown, and we're going to consider some, some more truths. We'll look at the soils or the hearts in order that Jesus presents them. First, the stony heart. Second, the shallow heart. Third, the strangled heart. And fourth, the submissive heart. Let's start with the stony heart. The parable starts like this. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. The people listening to this parable, those uh, of the crowd and the disciples standing on the beach that day as Jesus sat and taught from the boat, they would have been extremely familiar with this agricultural picture that Jesus gives them. John MacArthur says, only those who are accustomed to a world of pavement would find this imagery unfamiliar. <laughs> so that's me. I don't know if that's you. Uh, he says, for Jesus' actual listeners living in an agricultural society, this was everyday life. So this was your everyday run-of-the-mill thing. A sower goes out to sow his seed. And a lot of authors say that a farmer may have even been in view of Jesus and the crowd as he told this story. So the first thing that happens in the story is that the sower goes out to sow his seed. So before we touch on the soils, we have to talk about the sower. Who is the sower? Well, Jesus told us in Luke 8 that the seed is the word of God, really specifically the gospel message. So the sower is anyone who disseminates that message, anyone who evangelizes or shares the gospel or preaches the word. And the sower really isn't the important part of this story. The soils are. But in the parable, you've got this sower who goes out to sow his seed, and that's what kickstarts everything. He has got this seed bag, and he's just throwing the seed around, and it's not haphazard, actually. It's, it's called broadcast sowing, and it's strategic because he wants to distribute the seed all over the field. So he is trying to get it um, everywhere he can, and yet although this action is strategic, it's also a bit indiscriminate. It's being dispersed every which way, and um, that means it can land all kinds of places. Um, however, this was normal and natural. This was a normal and natural way to sow seed. What's also normal and natural in this story is that in this indiscriminate dispersing, some seeds fall beside the road. In Israel, in Jesus' day, the fields where farmers planted their seeds were surrounded not by fences or by hedges, but by footpaths, by well-traveled roads. And so the seed that ends up here inevitably winds up getting trampled by people walking by on these footpaths or eaten up by birds who come and snatch these exposed seeds. So the seed lies on the pathways beside the field. When the sun's out, this road is solid as concrete. It's hard. There's no way that the seed gets through that sun-baked layer to the soil underneath. It is just too hard. And when the disciples ask him to explain the parable, Jesus explains this first part like this. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The seed that lands on the pathway beside the field can't penetrate that footpath to get to any soil. It is too hard. 
And so as we read this parable and we hear Jesus's explanation, we're reminded of other passages of scripture that talk about stony hearts, hardened hearts. We think of Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, who repeatedly hardened his heart and refused to let God's people go. We think of stiff-necked Israel, who continually hardened their hearts against God. We think of Ezekiel's prophecy to Israel in Ezekiel 36, when God says to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. A heart of stone is what we all have before we receive the gospel. We all have a refusal and in some sense an inability to see and hear the truths of the gospel as beautiful and to embrace them. And so the question is, how does a heart get hardened? How does soil get this solid to where the the seed of the word of God, the gospel message, can't even penetrate it? And the answer that scripture gives us is through sin. James Montgomery Boyce, writing about this parable, says, Sin hardens the heart, and the heart that is hardened sins even more. Unbelievers, through continuing in love for sin, become increasingly hardened against the gospel. They are like that well-beaten footpath. The seed lands on the hard road, and Jesus says that the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. That's in Luke. Mark's gospel doesn't say the devil. He just comes right out and says, Satan comes and takes away the word. And as we read this, you, like me, might be a little bit shocked by this. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, gosh, the devil, Satan, comes and just snatches away the word of God so that people won't believe and be saved? That's sort of insane. But that's reality. That's reality. So often we're not conscious of the fact that this realm, this world, is spiritual in nature. We're involved in a cosmic battle between darkness and light, between Satan and his minions and God. And the world is under the rule and power of an enemy of God, Satan, who hates God, hates his word, and loves seeing people remain in bondage to their sin. So in God's word, does take root in a person's heart. When someone's heart, the soil of their heart, truly receives the gospel message and they believe and they are saved, it is a miracle. It is a work of God against the enemy. It is God taking back territory that the enemy stole, planting a flag and declaring victory is in Jesus and his reign is spreading in the earth in the hearts of those who believe. Jesus says that some will physically hear the gospel, but be unable and unwilling to believe it because sin has so hardened their hearts that their hearts are like concrete. And the devil takes advantage of this and keeps them in his grip by snatching that word away, snatching that seed away because they refuse to believe and their hearts are already hardened against God. And yet, a hardened heart is something that we can develop even as believers. In Hebrews, the author warns us, do not harden your hearts. When we, even as believers in Christ, allow unbelief to fester in our hearts, we're hardening our hearts. We're hardening our hearts and we're giving the devil a foothold in our lives. 
Now, true believers cannot have the word snatched from them in the sense that this parable is talking about. There's a doctrine called eternal security, and it is how I sleep at night. Scripture tells us that nothing can snatch us from God's hand because He holds us there. We are eternally secure in Him. But the flip side of eternal security, the other side of the same coin, is a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And that means that not only are true believers held fast by God, but true believers hold on to God. True believers persevere in the faith, they endure to the end, they keep believing. So those of us who are in Christ cannot have the word of God that's been implanted in our hearts, the living seed that gave birth to our salvation snatched from us. But we can, we can limit our fruitfulness by letting unbelief harden us and prevent us from growing. Second Peter 1 says that believing God's promises and acting on them is how we ensure that we're neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fruitfulness is how we'll have assurance that God will, in the end, abundantly supply the kingdom to us, give us our inheritance, and welcome us into His kingdom. So the stony heart, the the place where the seed first lands, helps us understand why. Why some people in our families seem unable and totally unwilling to believe the gospel and be saved. The stony heart reminds us that Satan is a lion roaming around looking for someone to devour, looking for someone whose heart is hardened, and he's involved in the process by which they continue being hardened. And the stony heart also warns us not to allow unbelief to fester in us because unbelief will stifle our fruitfulness. So let's look at the second heart, the second soil, the shallow heart. The parable continues, others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. When I was picturing this, I I don't know about you, but when I was picturing this, I was seeing like a field with some rocks in it, a rocky place, right? But that I have learned is not quite right. It's not quite the right picture. Um, John MacArthur says that no self-respecting farmer would leave rocks in his farmland. (laughs) And I I did not know that. I am not a farmer, much less a self-respecting one. (laughs) But um, what Jesus is actually talking about here is, is soil that has rock underneath, a rock bed underneath the field's surface. So on top, you have this layer of soil, but it's shallow. When the seed falls on it, it goes in the soil and it starts to germinate, to grow. Um, But when it comes up and, you know, it's looking great and appears healthy, it starts to wither. It can't go deep enough into the soil to get the water that it needs because there's this rock layer underneath. And so the sun hits it and what happens? It withers. It withers away. It has no depth of soil, no roots, no uh, way to get nutrients. And Jesus explains what this means in verses 20 through 21 in Matthew 13. He says, The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, 
immediately. He falls away. Social media has this way of making us way too privy to people's lives sometimes, right? I mean, I think we've we've convinced ourselves that we've moved on from posting about our lunch on Facebook, you know, from like 2013 days. Um, but we really haven't. We just post more aesthetically pleasing reels of our lunch on Instagram. And yes, I will still post my lunch on Instagram when it's pretty and delicious. Um, that being said, social media can be this really great way uh, to see people's joy and to celebrate with them, to share in it, right? If you're 30 something listening to this, then you can probably remember being 20 something and starting to see every single one of the people on your friends list getting engaged and then getting married. You you were there. You watched it all play out in real time over and over again um, every time with every single one of your thousand or so Facebook friends is what it felt like. I mean, I went through this um, in my 20s and I'm still in my 20s, but um, there was a time when I was seeing new relationships, new engagements, new marriages happening. It felt like every week. Well, one of the things that has been shocking to me and sobering to me at the age of 26 going on 27 is this. At this point in my life, I've started to see friends and acquaintances start to get divorced. And I've heard people I love whisper about divorce. And what a jarring thing that is. Now, I'm not trying to shame anyone who has gotten a divorce. What I am saying is some of these marriages, I, I feel like it was just yesterday when I liked all their wedding pictures on social media and I sent congrats messages or I bought a little something off their registry. I, some of these people, I feel like I just got their thank you card from their wedding and now I'm thinking divorce? And this part of the parable about the, the shallow heart reminds me a bit of that. Of course, it's a hundred times in eternity times more serious, but have you ever known someone fired up about Jesus, seeming to wholeheartedly love him and commit to him, and you see them share that joy with the world, and then you see that same person experience affliction of some kind, persecution of some kind, and walk away from Jesus? Luke says it this way, these people believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. All over America, there are stunted and downright warped and untrue versions of the gospel that are being preached. And of course, the first one that comes to mind uh, for most of us is the prosperity gospel, the teaching that being a faithful Christian means health and wealth. But that teaching just sets up people who believe it to fall away from the gospel. Because what happens when affliction comes? What happens when you're sick or you're poor? You stop believing. But another thing that our American Christianity doesn't really have a category for, doesn't really discuss all that much compared to the rest of the world, is suffering. And not just suffering as in all people suffer, but specifically suffering because you're a Christian. Suffering because the world hated Christ and it hates you. I was reading recently Letters to the Church by Francis Chan, and he devotes an entire chapter to suffering for the name of Christ. And he says how it should be a regular part of our experience as Christians. It shouldn't be something we go hunting for, but it should be something that we're honored to experience and we should experience it. Because scripture says, among other similar things, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
And so here's what Francis Chan said. He said, when a friend of mine came back from visiting a church in Iraq, I asked him what the biggest difference was between our church and the church in Iraq. And my friend said, what we call sanctification, they call prerequisite. In other words, Francis Chan says, we act as though surrender is a lifelong process where we slowly decide whether or not we will give up certain things to God. Meanwhile, the believers in Iraq teach the way Jesus taught. They are required to count the cost, surrendering everything up front. Otherwise, they cannot join the church. Statistics tell us, our pastors tell us, and our own relationships tell us that right now the trend is showing that America is becoming increasingly secular, increasingly opposed to Christianity. The odds are that the stakes will continue to get higher for American Christians. They've been high for the persecuted church around the world, but here in America, things are heating up as we become continually more secular and post-Christian. What this part of the parable says to us is God forbid, God forbid that we receive the gospel with joy, but then like a seed sown in shallow soil that has this layer of rock underneath, God forbid we experience the heat of persecution, the sting of suffering, and we fall away as a result. The shallow heart is a warning to all of us. How you start whether you receive the word of God with joy and you're on fire for a time and everything appears to indicate that true growth is happening, that true life is uh, there, how you finish is much more important. How you react when the sun hits you, when affliction comes, when times of testing or a trial or persecution come, that's what says it all. The question is, when we experience those moments in our lives, will we still believe? Will we still hold fast? Will we still persevere? So let's move on to the next heart, what James Montgomery Boyce calls the strangled heart.
And so woe to us if we allow the worries of the world and the love of wealth and pleasure to choke and crowd out the message of the gospel that we have heard. I think that this is something we are so in danger of as American Christians. And we have to remember that for a time, the weeds and the seed grew simultaneously. The weeds are natural. They were there already when the seed was planted. And in a similar way, our hearts are, uh, before Christ and even after Christ, idol factories. We do not have to try to find weeds in our hearts. They are there. And that is why John 15 says God prunes us. He prunes us. He cuts away the love and the obsession we have with the things of this world, with making a name for ourselves and being comfortable and enjoying passing pleasures and trivial pursuits. He cuts that all away so that we can love Jesus more and more. And it's only in abiding in the love of God for us in Christ that we bear fruit. That's what Jesus goes on to say in John 15. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If we allow the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth to crowd out the seed of the word of God, the gospel, the belief that we have in Christ, then we're like the man who approached Jesus and asked him, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Comes up to Jesus, this young man with nothing but a promising future ahead of him, and he asks this person whom he calls good teacher, he asks the Lord Jesus, how can I make sure that I'm not just here today and gone tomorrow, and that someday I won't be subject to eternal torment because of my choices day in and day out? How do I enter the kingdom of God and dwell in his presence in the fullness of joy forever? And Jesus says to him, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. In theory, if we could keep the law, we could enter the kingdom of God. And the man says, I've done this all my life from the time I was a young boy. He believes he has kept the law. And Mark 10, 21 says, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. A love for him, even in his, uh, in his not understanding and his uh, self-righteousness. Jesus feels a love for him and says to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus is challenging him to let go of the, the one thing he loves more than Jesus. And verse 22 says, at these words, the man was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. He was not willing to give up what he loved more than Jesus to follow Jesus and enter the kingdom of God. The deceitfulness of wealth had choked the seed and it did not bear fruit to maturity. And so the question for us is, what do we say? What do we say to Jesus if he asks us to give part of our savings to missions? What do we say to Jesus if he says to downsize our house so that we can be more generous? What do we say if he asks us to give up our evening Netflix show to study his word more? What do we say if he says, stop drinking so much with your friends and start pursuing people who don't know me? I hope that you say, and I hope that I say, Jesus, I would rather have nothing and you than everything without you because you are worthy. And so that brings us finally to the fourth soil, the fourth heart, the submissive heart. Jesus continues the parable and says, and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, 
some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Here, finally, is the climax of the parable. Finally, we have a harvest. Finally, there's fruit. And it's because the seed fell in good soil. Good meaning it does what it was created to do. Good in the Genesis 1 sense when God says, my creation is good. In Luke 8, Jesus explains what this good soil, this fertile soil, represents. He says, the seed in the good soil... These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Those who hear the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. This is the submissive heart. Hearing the gospel, truly hearing it, holding it fast instead of falling away like the shallow and the strangled hearts and bearing fruit with perseverance. This is a true believer. And so we see, once again, the main point that true faith in Jesus produces fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. What does that tell us? It tells us that not all Christians are equally fruitful. That's evident in the parable, and it's evident in, in our lives. But all Christians produce fruit. And the implication is that through the supernatural work of the Word of God, through the living seed, all Christians should produce a stunning harvest a hundredfold, a staggering prophet, John MacArthur calls it. So how does this happen? How do we prepare our hearts to be this submissive heart, to receive the word and then to bear fruit a hundredfold? The simple answer is, we sort of don't. We don't. We can't. God is the one who tills the soil of our hearts, who breaks up the fallow ground of our hearts and plants seeds that yield a harvest. All we do is recognize our dependence on Him and throw ourselves upon Him, submitting to His Lordship and trusting in His strength. In John 14, in John 15, 4 through 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If you feel like a lot of nothing has been happening in your life lately from a spiritual standpoint, consider from this parable and from Jesus' words in John 15, are you depending on Jesus? Are you trusting in his strength? And if the answer is yes, then let this parable be an encouragement to you. Let your heart be assured that abiding in Jesus, receiving the word of God, believing the gospel and holding it fast always yields fruit. Always. Even if it's fruit that you don't recognize right now, the very fact that you are wanting to abide in Him and to bear fruit is evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. And so this parable would, would encourage us to keep holding fast to the one who is holding us fast. The parable tells us not to let our hearts get hardened by sin or disheartened by affliction or strangled by the things of this world. The parable encourages us to receive the word to hold on to it, to persevere, and it promises us that we will bear fruit. 
Jesus says in John 15 that the result of this abiding in Christ and bearing fruit is that the Father will be glorified. We will prove to be Jesus' disciples and and we will experience blissful joy. He says in verse 11 of John 15, These things about the vine and about the branches and about abiding, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And so now that we've considered this parable that unlocks all the parables, we are encouraged by Jesus' story to search our hearts, to ask God to search our hearts and to show us in what ways we are allowing ourselves to be hardened, in what ways we are allowing affliction or persecution to cause us to drift away from him, in what ways we are allowing worry, sinful anxiety, and the deceitfulness of wealth to strangle us, to choke us, and um, stifle the growth of fruit in our lives. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so let us hear, let us hear and receive and hold fast and persevere and may we bear fruit a hundredfold. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the God Besotted Podcast. I am so grateful for every opportunity that I get to share God's word with you so that we can all know him more deeply and love him and his people more. If you're loving this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you left a rating or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at GodBesotted or on Facebook at the GodBesotted Podcast because I would just love to connect with you there. So until next time, may we rest in the high, deep, wide, and long love of God for us in Christ. And may we be God besotted in all we do.